The Truth News Network. In a world where a sitting president's Justice Department attempts to take out their chief political rival by throwing him in jail, in a world where the economy is in virtual freefall with China buying up everything in sight, the eternal question still remains as we look to our future and the elected officials who will make it happen. Are you better off now than you were four years ago? We're TNN, the Truth News Network, and we know the answer. And to spell it out, here's Dan Newman. I don't want to even talk about that. No, we're not better off than we were four years ago. Why is that? Well, it's because we have a single-minded president. Whereas before, we had somebody in the Oval Office who could juggle three balls in the air at the same time. Good morning, everybody. Steve Baker in our number two. Much to take care of. Before he gets here, top of the hour. My purring Bavarian machine Required a drink of gasoline I swerved to a city named St. Augustine In Upper Florida I drove through the town And quite by chance hooked up with a lady circumstance produced to renew my heart with true romance which she did indeed she lives around the corner from the fountain of youth around the corner from the fountain love is around the corner from the fountain the fountain of Around the corner from the fountain of youth Around the corner from the fountain Love lives around the corner from the fountain The fountain of youth Say delay on 
Three hips and three hoorays For Mr. Ponce de Leon Probably many of you haven't even heard of him. He's been around a long, long, long time. Had some big top 40 hits, a couple of them back in the, I guess, the late 80s, early 90s. He is what you call a smooth jazz guy. And I love smooth jazz. Our daughters, (laughs) whenever they get in the car with me and I've got Michael Franks up, they'll, ooh, dad, that's elevator music. I try to teach them the difference between smooth jazz and elevator music, but even though they're both in their 40s, they don't want to hear that. That's not cool. Well, good morning, everybody, and welcome to TNN Live. A special day every Tuesday is when our buddy Steve Baker gets to join us, and he is in that position today. He'll be with us at the top of the show. Didn't get it confirmed until the last hour or so, You know, he's living in that back and forth from North Carolina to Dallas to the Blaze Network headquarters. And then he spends a little time up in D.C., so his calendar's really full right now. But he loves to come on the show. We're friends, and we kind of, I guess basically we play off of each other when we have these conversations. So we both feel comfortable, and I think we get maybe not twice as much but one and a half times of the content, the substance 
that when it would just be one of us. And when it would just be one of us is when Steve's not here. <laughs> he, he brings a lot to the table. And he, in many respects, is on the inside of things. Many of the ups and downs of what goes on in our government in D.C. So we were going to start with something that is very important that we all need to be aware of. And we're not going to start with it now because I'm going to save it till the second hour when Steve gets here. What am I talking about? Do you realize the state of Colorado has filed a lawsuit that begins immediately? And it is to do one thing and one thing only. They want to disqualify former President Trump from running for president on their ballot, the ballot of Colorado. Now, what does that tell you about Colorado? What do you know about Colorado? You know, we're watching this insanity play out on, among uh, very liberal institutions. I mean, Ivy League colleges, colleges on the both coasts, the places where the elite filled those colleges with their kids and then filled their kids with the craziness about hatred and anger that they're now screaming and hollering hatred and anger for Israel. They call some of these rallies pro-Palestinian rallies, demonstrations, and some have even turned violent, but they're really not that. It's hate Jews. It's not even anti-Semitism, which is the nice term to use for despising Judaism and Jews around the world. It's been around for many, many, many centuries. That's right, I didn't say decades, many centuries. Ever since Abraham had a baby, Ishmael, with Sarah, Abraham's wife's handmaiden. Now that's not a vicious circle, and that's not a conspiracy theory. If you believe the Bible, that's exactly what happened. Sarah, Abraham's wife, was too old, everybody thought, especially Abraham and Sarah, that she couldn't have a baby. God had promised Abraham that from his seed would come a nation. So they couldn't get pregnant. How was that going to happen? So I'm sure Abraham griped and griped and got hacked off and got Sarah hacked off. Finally, she said, look, Abe, I've got this handmaiden. I think maybe you should sleep with her so you can have that son. I'm not going to be able to give you a son. So as any able-bodied man would do when their wife told them to go ahead and go sleep with Hagar or some other handmaiden, he said, okay, I don't want to do this, but I'm doing it for you. <laughs> and she gets pregnant, and they have a son, Ishmael. Well, Ishmael wasn't part of God's plan for this Abraham, his seed creating a nation. Fortunately, maybe some people today will say, unfortunately, all of a sudden, Sarah got pregnant, and they had a son, Isaac. Now, since that point in world history, the seed from those two have been in perpetual war against each other. Now, why would that be? Ishmael is the father of Islam. Isaac 
is the father of Israel. That's how far back this goes. Maybe you knew that, maybe you didn't. I, I just threw that out there. So there is a lot of contention around the world, around the United States. But make no mistake about it. It's about hatred of an entire nation. Now, think about in perspective of what the United States has gone through in the last 50 or 60 years about racism. Now, wait a minute, Dan. It hadn't just been 50 or 60 years. We had a civil war about slavery. And you know those evil Southerners, those rebels, those KKK members, they wanted to perpetually have slavery be legal in the United States. And then those Yankees said, nope. And so they went to war. You know those white people down south. Oh, my gosh. They're horrible. They're racist still today. I hear that a lot, but you know what? You don't hear it a lot, nearly as much as there are people that believe that but don't want to talk about it. Did you know in the Civil War, and every time I bring this up to somebody that jumps on slavery, disadvantaged because of color, just color, ethnicity, nation of origin, religion, every time somebody starts preaching that and how evil white people are because they've enslaved others. You know how many people died in the Civil War? We don't know the exact number, but historians place it at somewhere over 600,000. Did you know that 300,000 of those that died, 300,000 were white? In other words, there were 300,000 white people that went to war against their fellow Members, their federal brothers in the United States of America, they went against them to stop slavery. 300,000 whites died because of that. Nobody wants to mention that. Slavery does not have a skin color. And all of those that for, I guess, generations, as long as I've been alive and remember people and how they treated each other, all that time, everybody just automatically assumed that white people were racist. Well, they knew there were some that weren't, but most were because of their disdain for other people of other colors. And guess what? In the last 30 years, it's been proven over and over and over and again, racism has no skin color. None. And in this latest spate of revelations that initiate out of that little bitty country over there that butts up on the west side to the Mediterranean, Israel, we find out that there are millions of people on earth that hate Israel, hate Judaism, hate Jews because of what? because of their race. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. 300,000 white guys died so that there wouldn't be any racism in the United States. Well, it's not the United States. Everybody over here is clean now, right? (laughs) Wrong. All of these 
supposed Palestinian, pro-Palestinian protest. That's not what they are at all. They're anti-Semitic, hate and just destroy every Jew on the planet. The Iranian people and even members of Hamas and some Palestinians that aren't members of Hamas, they're proving just how racist human beings are when they choose to be racist. Now, of course, that's not a conversation in this incident regarding black and white or white and black, black and brown. It's about simply because you were born a Jew. You were born a Muslim. And those two cannot coexist. Now, people on the Muslim side, the Islamist side, they think they're justified in this, that they need to destroy every Jew. They need to destroy the nation of Israel. But look on the other side of the equation. What do good Jews, when I say good Jews, I'm talking about the ones that are just regular people. They're living their lives wanting to just have the opportunities that others have to achieve, to accumulate, to have a family, enjoy life as they make their lives to be. Does that sound a little bit like what we've been told, we being those honkies, those white fanatics, you and me, that we've been told for generations that's all people of color want in the United States, the same opportunities. You find the correlative there? You don't have to dig very deep. It's there. Racism does not have a nationality. It does not have a skin color. It does not come from one nation, a nation of origin, does not come from one religion. Somebody, anybody, nobody is born a racist. At some point in their lives, it may be simply a product of their environment, that person, every person, makes a choice, makes a decision. I am going to make it okay for me to hate somebody, despise somebody, just because they're different from me, they think differently from me, they are from a different religious background, a different ethnicity, whatever your purpose, your thoughts are, it boils down to that. You choose to be racist if you're a racist. Nobody made you. Nobody forced you. No, wait a minute. What are you saying, Dan? Are you denigrating people? I'm not denigrating anybody. All I'm saying is a white person, a black person, a Christian, a Jew, a Muslim, every one of those sectors of life and groups have people that number among them that chose to racially despise, hate, and denigrate somebody in the other group just simply because of their skin color, where they live, their ethnicity, their religious preference and background. If somebody wants to hate somebody, it's easy to justify it. 
it's very easy to justify it if that's what you want to do. Wow. So there's a big deal before Congress right now. And you've heard it again and again and again. Joe Biden gave a speech the other day on it. Oh, we got to help these people over there in the Middle East. We've got to help Ukraine. We've got to help the people of Israel. We've got to help the Palestinian civilians over there. How do you help people if your last name is Biden? You write them a check. The problem in this case is our president doesn't write a check off of his account. He writes it off of your account. Your tax dollars pay for every dime that's spent. Wouldn't you think it would be prudent and lawful if that president and every other president that we've had and will have going forward would simply honor what the law says about who determines what to spend government tax dollars on? And it's not whoever's the inhabitant of the White House. No, no, no. There are two departments in our government that have the sole constitutional power to spend our tax dollars. And they have to both agree how it's going to be spent, if it's going to be spent at all. That would be the House of Representatives and the U.S. Senate. The process calls for each separately to come up with their draft of a bill that they want to put together that structures the giving, where it goes, who gets it, what are the terms and conditions, how much, and oh, by the way, if somebody doesn't get it. There's nowhere in the Constitution where it says a U.S. president has the sole unfettered right to spend American tax dollars arbitrarily, independently, of the Congress. Well, what happens if Congress can't get in agreement on something? We've got to have money to pay the bills in D.C. Yeah, there's a process for that. It's called the We the People process. How does that work? Well, there are 435 members of the House of Representatives. That's one side. On the other side, the U.S. Senate, there's 100. Both bodies separately have got to get together on every spending issue. It's called the budget. And then what Nancy Pelosi refused to allow as Speaker of the House, now that Mike Johnson's the Speaker, he demanded this, and it's in operation. Each person in the House of Representatives is assigned to a committee, part of another committee, or working with people on the different areas of budgeting. Go figure. We have people in Washington that want to create a budget that they are going to live by. Because if and when they create it and implement it, you and I have to live by it. But we choose, we the people choose who we're going to send up there to do this work. And a president has zero say-so in it unless and until... The House finishes theirs. They vote on it, and they have a majority of the 435 members of the House have agreed on a final version. And that final version was created in what Nancy Pelosi, I told you, 
wouldn't ever let happen. It's called regular order, where when an issue comes to the House Speaker, the Speaker pushes that out to the various committees that are responsible for specific parts of it. Those committees go to work. They gather evidence. They bring in witnesses. They get experts to talk about the pluses and the minuses. They craft a version in the committee that they agree on, a majority do. And then when those are done, the House Speaker puts them all back together and takes it to the full House of Representatives where it can be discussed again by the full House and it may require and it will allow certain proposed amendments on that bill to be discussed and voted on. And then there's a final vote taken on the on the version, the final version of what comes after all of this discussion. If it passes, well, on the other side, the Senate's doing the same thing. And they meet in the middle. And the representatives of the House and the Senate on every one of these pieces of legislation, they get together and come up with a consensus that the majority of the American people's representatives have voted that we should put it out there for this in this way. That piece then goes to Joe Biden, President of the United States, to sign it into law. That's his constitutional right in this whole process and his duty. If he doesn't like it, he doesn't have to sign the bill. He can reject it. And then if it is rejected there, it can go back to the Congress and they can overrule his objection if they want to. It's all part of a constitutional process. So Joe Biden in his speech, he said, we're going to give Ukraine and Israel a bunch more money. Now, here's what we're going to do. It was so obvious when he made that speech. It had been prepared to present to Congress for spending, more spending, purely for Ukraine. And after the 7th, when Hamas did their invasion and slaughtered all those Israeli citizens in in the aftermath that we're still living in, he decided, ah, we got to give Israel some money. Only problem is, in his plan, his pitch to the Congress, the people's representatives, the plan includes four times more aid for Ukraine than for the Israelis. That doesn't make much sense since we've given in cash about $75 billion to Ukraine already. So Mike Johnson when he gave his acceptance speech for the House Speaker's job last week, he said, we are going to make a priority putting an aid bill together for Ukraine and Israel. But he intimated it was going to be separate. It wasn't going to be bundled. Well, guess what? Looks like that's going to happen. It's called a standalone bill, and it is in existence. It grants additional funding to Israel amid its ongoing war with Hamas, and it will likely receive widespread bipartisan support. 
House Speaker was elected last week, the 56th House Speaker. He quickly got down to business on a number of issues. I, uh, he's a personal friend. I sent him a text this morning. <laughs> he hadn't responded to it since we went on the air. Here's what I asked him. Are you enjoying the chaos you're in right now? <laughs> and I said, we're praying for you daily. Oh, my gosh. He's in the middle of it. So, speaking to Fox News Sunday Morning Futures, Johnson noted Republicans plan to pass a standalone bill about funding for Israel that is not going to be tied to funding for Ukraine, as had been requested by President Biden. It was $106 billion that, in total, Biden's asking for. Under the spending bill, he requested $14 billion in additional assistance to Israel, but $61 billion in supplemental aid to Ukraine. On top of that, Biden is seeking another $9.15 billion in humanitarian assistance for Gaza, Israel, and Ukraine. Some of the Republican lawmakers, however, have raised concerns about additional funding to Kiev and call for increased transparency regarding where exactly the funding is being spent. Haven't seen a dime of where it went. Nobody in our government, nobody has been able to get any evidence to show where that money sent to Ukraine went. I can't believe they would let that happen. Yeah, I can. But they shouldn't have every dime of foreign aid that the United States does, gives. Every dime of it should be audited. That should be a requirement. Not only don't just tell us where you spent it, show us where it went. At least nine Republicans have urged funding for Israel to be passed separately to Ukraine. And they've criticized Biden's attempts to leverage the support of aid to Israel in an attempt to get more money for Ukraine. And then overnight last night, guess what happened? A Democrat from Florida, uh uh-oh, (laughs) turncoat, he bucked against his party and said, I will vote for a separate bill for aid to Israel and not require it be lumped together with that Ukrainian bill. Principally, his reasoning was what I just said. Nobody knows. Nobody's getting any information about where Ukraine's spending that money. And oh, by the way, Ukraine is known and has been for decades as the most corrupt financial country on earth. They are experts at blowing somebody else's money. And far too much of it goes into somebody's pockets and not where it's supposed to go. So we're watching that very closely today. Again, if you joined us late, Steve Baker joins us at the top of the next hour. We've got a lot to talk with him about least of which is not this Israeli-Hamas conflict there. Also, what's going on? What is Iran doing? And what the heck is our government doing or not doing about any of it? Meanwhile, back at home, (laughs) our nation's on fire from coast to coast. Our peaceful nation, you know, our world-loving leftists, 
They are just proving how hypocritical they can be. How so? These are people that they wanted everybody to just love everybody else. You can't look down your noses at other people. We are one nation. We're not a nation of 330 different people. We're all Americans. That's a little more than lip service. And it's getting dangerous out there right now. People are getting beat up and killed just because they're of a different religion, a different skin color. No, wait a minute. Democrats don't believe in that. Democrats don't do that. They're the people of unity and inclusion, right? They don't hate anybody. Everybody is given the best chance first. Yeah, right. (laughs) If you're not a Democrat, what are you? Well, in the last four years, five years, six years, if you're not a Democrat, you don't support Joe Biden, his policies. There's only one reason, and everybody knows it. You're one of those people. You're a MAGA extremist. I thought it was interesting, and for the sake of time, I won't play it for you. But out of yesterday's White House press briefing, Peter Ducey of Fox News, he got old the White House press secretary, Carrie Jean-Pierre. He asked her point blank because of everything she said from the podium over the last two years. She has called everybody that supported Donald Trump a MAGA extremist. And so he just asked her, well, (laughs) uh, when are y'all going to start calling members of Hamas Muslim extremists? And he asked her, he said, are Muslims from Hamas in Hamas, are they terrorists? And she refuses to answer it other than to say this over and over again. And somebody above her level in the White House created this. They discussed how to handle this naming thing because they knew it was going to come back and bite them in the butt. And it has. Here's what we're going to say. No hatred allowed. No hatred will be tolerated. Of course, what the truth of that really is, is no hatred of Democrats, no hatred of terrorists, no hatred of Muslims is going to be allowed. We won't, we won't even comment on it, but you know what? We've taught you how to hate those MAGA extremists. So just go ahead and continue to hate, but just don't be out loud. Don't let anybody around know at least for now, until we get on the other side of all this. There is so much hypocrisy in politics today. I mean, when I, when I, when I do, when I'm in here in the studio and I'm preparing for a show and I, I gobble up, I don't know how much material because it takes a lot of time and planning to do a two hour show. Anybody that has any history of doing a show, coming up with 120 minutes of real content is not really easy to do. 
So I immerse myself in everything in politics. And it's not just politics. You know that if you're a regular. We talk about a lot of things. But when things are bubbling up in the way of trouble, pending anywhere around the world that's going to involve us, it becomes a big, big, big deal. Much bigger. And at the end of that, I've watched it and timed it, not exactly, but for every hour of this show, I spend from an hour to two hours in prep. So let's just round it off. Two-hour show, I'm going to do two hours of prep. So twice as much time as you hear on this show every day, I'm immersed in politics, political issues, hatred, anger, lying, cheating, stealing, all of the negative things that come out of politics, criminality, everything that needs to be part of a conversation about living in America. It's there 24-7. And because of all of that, and because I'm a Christian, I think everybody needs to do their best to get along with everybody in your circle. And getting along doesn't mean making them think the same way you do about everything, but being honest, being factual, and understanding this one premise of being a human, being an American, everybody deserves to express their own thoughts and opinions about whatever they want to. We have a First Amendment right for that. And that doesn't just mean leftist. And it doesn't just mean conservatives or Republicans. And it doesn't mean that we brand or label somebody that thinks differently from us with a name. Just let them be who they are. You be who you are. Communicate with each other. That means converse with each other. Know what and how each other believes and thinks what they do. And do it in a respectful manner. And at the end of it, don't take the leftist ideal. Their ideology dictates that at the end of any interaction with someone of a different political perspective, either X them out of your life, humiliate them if they can, mark them, and turn around and walk away. That will never achieve any good. And so when I get involved in circumstances that may not get there but get close to it, I've learned just to turn around and walk away. And I don't want to obsess about the conversation that I just heard or participated in, but I know this. Some people understand what finding consensus on every issue is really about, and some people don't want to, and so they refuse to do that. How do you do it? You talk to each other. You communicate with each other. And the only way it'll ever work and be effective, if it is going to be effective, is to sit there and have a conversation, explain how you both feel on whatever the issue you're discussing. And you tell you, you talk and tell your side. They talk and tell their side. And then you try to find some place in the middle where you can meet and coexist. 
Typically, historically, those on the left will not go down that road. They summarily dismiss you. You're an idiot. You're a MAGA extremist. And they want to destroy you, kind of like Hamas feels about every Jew on the planet. Anti-Semitism. Not because of anything these people have done wrong, but just because they were born that way. Oh my gosh, we live in the United States of America. You can't do that. That's called racism. We can't operate without accepting people who are just people and they were born into and to look like exactly what they are today. The problem in the United States is what's good for the goose on one side of the political aisle is okay. Don't like it. Don't agree with it. But you have the right to think the way that you think. And you just walk on. You may privately obsess about it a little bit, but you don't go get a gun typically, or you don't go talk about somebody. You don't label somebody. You don't go out on the street and demand that they be killed. The other side does exactly that. They say, screw it. We're going for the juggler vein. That's where we live today. And friends, it's getting worse every day. And every day when another person accepts that process of living with people that are different, living in the United States of America gets more dangerous more dangerous. And so what happens then? People get defensive. They're afraid. They start making decisions based on their fear and their anxiety. And very seldom are those choices and decisions the good ones, the right ones. We don't need to live in that kind of environment. And I summarily reject it. I'm not going there. I trust God. I'm an active Christian. I believe Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he was crucified, hung on the cross for three days, was risen from the grave, and is in heaven now. I believe God is the Father. Now, give me some science to prove all that, Dan. Let me give you the science. I feel that in my heart. When I pray, I get answers. I get help. I get assistance based upon the things that I've learned through my 70 years, sometimes what I think is right is not right. And I can pray and ask for clarity, and guess what? I get it. I get clarity. And if that's not good enough for you, you think opposite that, all I have to say for you is I hope you find the right way. Because at the end of mine, I'm confident I'm going to be okay. If you live in anger and hatred, odds are you're not going to be okay. You need brake pads? We have brake pads. Like dependable brake pads, quieter brake pads, longer life brake pads, and performance brake pads. At AutoZone, we have all the brake pads you need so you can get the job done right. Get in the zone, AutoZone. If you want a smart truck, you want an F-150 with available pro-trailer backup assist. If you want a strong truck, you want an F-150 with a high-strength military-grade aluminum alloy body. 
If you want a capable truck, you want an F-150 with up to 13,200 pounds of available towing. So to recap, you want the smart, the strong, the capable Ford F-150. Society says we should only have tacos with the gang on Tuesday. But Taco Bell doesn't play by the rules. Step away from the tacos! With Taco Bell party packs, gangs are having tacos any day of the week, even Sunday. So whether your gang is soft, crunchy, or straight up locos, it's time to come together and fight for tacos any night. It's Taco Anarchy. Can you feel it? Are they dance fighting? Rebel against Tuesday tradition with Taco Bell party packs. Pick it up or get it delivered for the whole crew. You know, if you interact with other people and you can't identify with them, you're not going to be able to understand where they're coming from. I'm going to say that again. If you interact with people and you don't understand where they're coming from and you don't figure it out, unless you're willing to walk away and do what I suggested, which is, hey, go your way, I'll go mine. You're going to obsess. You're going to find yourself getting angry, not understanding. And the flip side of that is getting afraid. Very seldom do you make good choices when your choices are directed by fear. Just think that through. Now, let me give you an example of what people right now on the other side of the globe are dealing with. Segments of the Jewish population in Berlin, Berlin, Germany, are being forced to consider a question many of them once thought unthinkable in the wake of the atrocities committed by Hitler and his Nazi followers and the subsequent promises of never again. They are literally now pondering, is it time for us to leave Germany? Spiegel International reports testimonies from a host of Jews in the national capital of Berlin, worried about their futures and those of their families because of this rising tide of anti-Semitism is seen once more to cast a shadow across the headquarters of Adolf Hitler. Can you imagine the desperation? It's now arrived on the back of the Hamas terrorist attack that killed 1,400 people in Israel one day, October 7th. And on top of that, they've kidnapped about 220 more. The report summarizes fears in a metropolis once known for its anti-Jewish hatred and its records of history. Berlin, of all places, the city from which Hitler ruled over Nazi Germany. When the Nazis came to power in Berlin, 160,000 Jews lived in the city. That's about a third of Germany's total Jewish population. And by the end of the war, 
only 1,500 Jews remained in Berlin. The rest having been murdered in the Holocaust or driven to suicide or they left and went overseas somewhere. Germany's anti-Semitism commissioner has condemned the country's recent increase in anti-Jewish violence, warning it risks transporting the country back to its most horrific times. And do you know there are millions of people on this globe that don't even believe the Holocaust ever happened? It's shocking how many people, when they're confronted with that question, will say, no, I don't believe it did. So think about what they're going through. Those remarks tap into a debate that's played out across Europe, and in particular in Germany and France, home to the European Union's largest Jewish and Muslim communities, by the way, as officials are scrambling to contain the spillover of tensions sparked by the Israel-Hamas war. People are shocked to hear news of houses where Jews live being marked with the Star of David. That's what Hitler's people did in World War II. Because that, of course, rings a bell, brings us back to the most terrific times we had in this country. Recent weeks have seen Germany's chancellor vow to take a zero-tolerance approach to anti-Semitism, citing the responsibility towards Israel given Germany's role as the perpetrator of the Holocaust in which six million Jews were murdered. And suppose that number's wrong. Think about this. Oh, I don't see how anybody could kill in just a few years six million people. Okay, let's say they didn't. What about if the number was only, oh, I don't know, one million? What about if it was just 500,000? That's like talking about cheating and voting over here in elections. Well, we know there were some of election irregularities in the 2020 and the 2022 elections, but there weren't enough votes that were messed with to make up any big difference, right? Well, it's like <laughs> how many how many Jews were murdered during the Holocaust was okay with you or it would be okay. Maybe only 100? How many cheating votes in the 2020 and the 22 elections were okay with you. If you think about it, it boils right down. If it's your vote, ah, no way. I won't accept a single bogus vote in any election. President of Germany, every single attack on Jews and Jewish institutions is a disgrace for Germany, he said. Every single attack fills me with shame and anger. Olaf Scholz is his name, and in recent days, Scholz has doubled down on the pledge after assailants hurled two Molotov cocktails at a synagogue in central Berlin, and the Star of David was found daubed on the facades of several buildings where Jews live in Berlin. The attacks have come even as German citizens have been confirmed as a victim of the horrific Hamas attack on October 7th. These barbaric, sadistic animals simply chopped off her head. That came from Breitbart News. It's a story of a woman, an elderly woman, 
that some of those terrorists, Hamas terrorists, grabbed her, raped her in public numerous numerous times, an 84-year-old woman, and then lopped off her head in public. Our history, our responsibility for the Holocaust makes it our duty in every moment to stand for the existence and security of Israel. Germany has the third largest Jewish community in Europe. I didn't realize that until this thing began to happen over there. The Central Council of Jews in Germany puts the number of practicing Jews in the country at about 100,000. 100,000 and the number of synagogues, about 100. Anti-Semitic acts have increased sharply in the country amid the latest turmoil in the Middle East. That's according to the Federal Association of Research and Information Centers on Anti-Semitism. In the period, just a few weeks ago, from October 7th to 15th, it was documented 202 anti-Semitic incidents compared with just 59 during the same week in 2022. And that's in Germany. That's in Berlin. A point man on anti-Semitism for the city's Jewish community told the Post newspaper the rise anti-Jewish incident numbers brought back painful memories of Nazi Germany. It's the first time since Nazi rule that this is happening again in Germany. It reminds my community very much of that terrible time. Nobody, nobody can say it's not pure evil. Well, what do you think about racism against African Americans in the United States of America? I'll give you a quick answer. I hate it. I despise it. I abhor it. Steve Baker's going to join us in about five or six minutes. Before we get there, let me give you an example. I was born in Houston, Texas, a suburb of Houston. When I was four, my family moved to South Louisiana, to a country, uh, to a country, <laughs> Louisiana, some people consider it a foreign country, but we're really not, to a city in South Louisiana. I'm speaking to you from Shreveport, way up in the northwest corner. Lafayette is kind of right in the center of what they call South Louisiana, halfway between Baton Rouge and Beaumont, Texas, on I-10, to be more exact. I went through middle school in Lafayette. My family moved south, further south, to a really small town, less than 5,000 people today. So I can't even imagine how few were living there at that time. But there weren't, there weren't a, a white high school and a black high school. And I moved there at the end of my eighth grade. That's junior high in Louisiana, middle school now. I knew nobody. I was always in athletics, basketball, football, baseball. And so I wanted to play ball. I went there and we started playing ball. You play football in the fall. So I went out for football and I played. I looked around when I was in the locker room and there were probably in the locker room, 80% were white, 20% were black. I never gave a single thought to that. That was just the way it was. I went through three and a half years like that. 
To make a long story short, my family blew up, exploded, and I moved to North Louisiana, to Shreveport, Louisiana. And I basically have been in this part of the the country (laughs) the rest of my life, which is a long life now because I'm 70. I had no idea what racism was until I came to Shreveport. And I went to the largest high school in this part of the country, Bird High School. I mean, it was right at the beginning of integration when they really pushed it out in the schools. And talk about racism and hatred and anger. I had never seen anything like it. And I'm, I'm saying this and giving you this example for this one reason. Racism anti-Semitism, all of the isms that are out there, you're not born with that. You may be born to parents that are racist, and you may learn that, but even if you do watch it and your family or your friends are racist, nobody makes you adopt that thought process. We choose. We choose to adopt it if we're going to. And what does that mean? It means you can choose to not be racist. And I'll make it one step further uncomfortable. We have a a lesbian in our extended family that has been a lesbian for more than 50 years, identified as a lesbian, more than 50 years. Now, hey, I'm a white guy from the South. I mean, I never knew, never immersed myself in it. I didn't know anything about it. I don't get it. I don't, but you know what? This family member of mine, I love her just like I love my other extended family members that are heterosexual. You know how I can do that? I made a choice. I made a choice. I pray for her all the time. And I love her regardless of the choices she's made, whether I agree or disagree with them. I'm still going to disagree, but I'm not going to denigrate her. I'm sure there are choices that I've made in my life that hack her off, that she disagrees with. We're Americans. We can do that. That's part of being part of the freest, fairest country in world history. And I mean, that's just, that's just a fact. <laughs> and if you want to steal that right from anybody, you can do that. But I'm not going to let it destroy me. Good morning, Mr. Dan. Hi there, Mr. Steve. Say hello to everybody across the world <laughs> that is listening to you right now. Hello, everyone across the world. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I want to tell you, I just looked during a commercial a minute ago. We have a very large audience today. There are a lot of people that are getting more and more afraid of what's going on in our nation and around the world, and they're looking for answers. So why don't you just go ahead and take this next hour and answer all their questions? (laughs) (laughs) We, we, you know, you and I try to do that at least once a week. We get on here for a 
half hour to 40 minutes or so, and then we uh, we go through the problems of the day, and we think we have the answers. And, you know, I'll tell you what, every day that I wake up, uh, if, if you're not questioning your own solutions, then you're really not looking for the answers. And that's that's an important part of what we have to do, Dan. We have to question ourselves every day. We have to examine. Uh, you know, we 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 hate that. I know you hate that that saying, uh, "My truth" or "Our truth" or "His truth." There's only one truth, but we don't always have a lock on it. <laughs> Sometimes we have to we have to question ourselves. Well, you and I wake up every day doing that. Yeah, you, you don't have the right to think differently from me. You've got to think just like I do. <laughs> That's right. Uh, That's right. Yeah. I mean, we're in the middle of that. You do realize that it's it's mm. all consuming. I don't know if you were listening earlier in the first hour. I brought up Corinne Jean Pierre and the narrative that has overnight switched coming out of the White House. They no longer call you if you're if you were and even if you still are, or you changed your mind and you are now a supporter of Donald Trump. You're a evil MAGA um, Trumpster or whatever. It makes it very negative. That's the label they put on you. So um, Peter, yesterday, Peter from Fox News, he asked her the question, um, are Hamas terrorist? Right. And she wouldn't answer it. And then he forced her to answer it. And she said, look, where we are in this White House is we hate hate. No hate is good hate. And I would, if I'd have been Peter, Peter Ducey, when she said that, I would have said, well, wait a minute, you said hate's bad, but you just said you hate hate. Does that make you bad? (laughs) The hypocrisy, it's so thick, you can cut it with a knife and they don't care. People on the left, they are all in, and I'm going to say the T word, they are sure. into totalitarianism. They want total control. They're demanding total control of every part of the lives of every American. And they know better about anything and everything than do we. And by the way, just so people tuned in, if they don't know it, Steve is not a Republican. Dan is not a Republican. I'm a registered independent what are you, Steve, registered as? Uh, I am, uh, as they, as we can do in North Carolina, I am unaffiliated. I'm a registered unaffiliated, but I'm a small L libertarian, if you have to get into a more exact definition. Well, you know, I know you, so I know you're an okay guy. <laughs> um. We've got so many topics I want to get into, but I want to get across the lines and get them all in. This thing that's happening out in Colorado today, where in Colorado they're doing their best to keep Donald Trump off the ballot coming up in 2024. And it's get it's just insane what's going on out there. Eric Swalwell, one of my least favorite humans on the planet, <laughs> He's a Democrat from California. He's the one that had a long affair with that Chinese spy. Remember that? Yep. <laughs> and oh, the, yeah. And the FBI are the ones that told her, hey, Representative Swalwell, you know that girl that's spending the night at your house? <laughs> She's a Chinese spy. That's the way he found out about it. But listen to what he did. He testified yesterday in that trial in Colorado. And 
the, the, the case is seeking to keep Trump off the ballot. So what does Swalwell have to say about what's his uh, reasoning for testifying there? He described the events of January 6th to the court, from his perspective, of course. He said, I was in the Capitol when the Electoral College votes were being certified and had gaveled the Congress into session that day, leading the Pledge of Allegiance. That was a really important thing to point out to the people in the courtroom, <laughs> that he led the Pledge of Allegiance. He said, we connected the president's tweets to our own safety in the chambers, he said, and the integrity of the proceedings taking place. So attorneys showed him a post on Twitter, and we've got to come up with a way to still say Twitter, because I don't like this, <laughs> now known as X. Oh, that's great. Right. Anyway, he, uh, the attorney showed him a tweet in which Trump wrote that Vice President Mike Pence didn't have the courage to give states a chance to certify uh, a corrected set of facts, not the fraudulent or inaccurate ones which they were asked to previously certify. USA demands the truth, the president wrote. Swalwell said, we interpreted it as a target had been painted on the Capitol. Well, Steve, you were there. <laughs> he was doing his thing inside a little bit before you went inside the Capitol. But were there a lot of people that were going crazy, racing down from just outside the White House to get to the Capitol so they could go tear the Capitol up? Is that what was well, going on? Let me, let me tell you, Dan. There... There is so much disinformation around that concept right there. You know, I'm, I, I've been writing this series, uh, and a long series on the Capitol Police. So I'm going to give you a, a semi-long answer to what is a, you posed as a simple question. Go. And, and one of the things that I just could not believe in this new book by Officer Harry Dunn, the hero of the day, the guy who has been awarded a presidential medal, congressional medal, book deal, the whole, you know, uh, carte blanche to do as many media appearances as he is wont to do while all the other Capitol Police are under gag orders or NDAs. They can't speak at all, but this guy can say anything he wants. And in his book, when he quotes the president from his speech on January 6th, where the president says, I know that we're soon all going to march down to the Capitol. Right? And then in the actual words of the president, he says, and we're going to what? Peacefully and patriotically make our voices heard. In Harry Dunn's book, where the words peacefully and patriotically are in the sentence, they leave the editors of that book or his ghostwriter went dot, dot, dot and left those three words out peacefully and patriotically. Hmm. And so what has happened since in the last two years, nine months, 10 months, whatever it's been now since January 6th of 2021 is they have successfully painted this narrative of what Everybody that was in the Capitol that day, the hundreds of thousands of people that were there, suddenly heard the president say, 
we are going to the Capitol and we're going to storm the Capitol. That's the narrative. Not only did that not happen. Oh, yeah, there was there were between 300, 325 people that did throw themselves into violent acts or property destructive acts. That's 300 ish out of hundreds of thousands that did that because most of those people heard him say peacefully and patriotically make our voices heard. There's your long answer. Well, I don't know how they take that and they shape it in to this narrative that they're trying to sell to um, this courtroom in Colorado. I just don't get it. I, let me tell you what it takes to be qualified, all that it takes to be qualified to run for president. Article 2, Section 1, Clause 5 of the Constitution. No person except a natural-born citizen or a citizen of the United States at the time of the adoption of this Constitution shall be eligible to the office of president. Neither shall any person be eligible in that office who shall not have attained the age of 35 years and been 14 years a resident within the United States. That's the beginning, the middle, and the end of the qualifications. So how do they get around where there's justification, at least they feel, to follow this lawsuit, implement it, and try to keep somebody off the the ballot? So what is the disqualification clause? Now, I'm going to get your opinion, but first let me give it to you. From the 14th Amendment, Section 3, quote, No person shall be a senator or representative in Congress, elector of president and vice president, or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state, who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of any state legislature or as an executive or judicial officer of any state, to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof, but Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each house, remove such disability. So they have turned that logic into, oh, it's okay, we're going to keep Trump from being constitutionally placed on a ballot to serve as president again. Your thoughts? Well, my first thought is is that the most dis- divisive and my most despised amendment in the Constitution is the 14th. I hate that amendment, and let me tell you why I despise that amendment. It basically was designed as a catch-all for Congress and the government at large to get around the rest of the Constitution. And this is what the 14th is. Now, as far as what you just read, and as far as how Section 3 of the 14th Amendment applies to this situation out in Colorado with the president, it's absurd on its face because, A, there has been no conviction of anyone, January 6th, of insurrection. There has not been a single person charged with insurrection. Wait a minute. Related wait to January 6th. Wait, why, why would they then, why would they say Donald Trump participated in and 
started and incited these acts of insurrection. Why? Why would they say that if they know that's not that's not true? Well, first of all, legally, it's not true, but they can get by with it because they're going to get by with it in a court in Colorado. They're going to get by with it in a liberal court, and then it's going to have a domino effect. Obviously, it'll be if this stands in this Colorado court courtroom, then there will be uh, challenges uh, to the appellate court immediately. It will it will probably be fast-tracked to the Supreme Court. Uh, we'll get quick rulings on it, but in and in while that's happening, we're going to see states like California, New York, uh, uh, all of the, the, the deep blue states are going to take similar actions to uh, use the Colorado precedent uh, as the, the model for kicking Trump off of their ballot in their respective states. But the, the problem, the problem, Dan, it <laughs> begins and ends with the 14th Amendment, even before we get into the interpretation of Article 3. I mean, just first of all, look how simple the first 10 amendments were in terms of their language. Uh, you know, not much more complex than oh, I don't know, the Ten Commandments, you know, <laughs> very simply stated rules to live by. And then suddenly the 14th Amendment comes along, and it's, what, five sections to it, and it has convoluted language specifically and purposefully designed so that the Congress, the courts, can work their way around the other amendments as need be. That's why almost every single case we hear about now, so Roe v. Wade, Roe v. Wade should not have been a 14th Amendment case. That was an open and shut 10th Amendment case. If it's not mentioned, if it's not written about, if it's not, uh, if it's not clearly spelled out in the Constitution, according to the 10th Amendment, then all of it goes back to the states or the people. It's what it says. It's very simple. It's as simple as thou shalt not steal, steal to understand. 14th Amendment needs to be uh, amended, needs to be uh, taken out and burned because it has, it has given our courts and our government the right to subvert the rest of the Constitution over and over and over again. When Neil Gorsuch was before the Senate Judiciary Committee when he had been nominated to become a United States Supreme Court Justice. I listened to the whole thing. I can't remember the circumstances, but that particular day I got there before the first question was asked and I was just enamored. I stayed till the end of it. And he got red-faced, Gorsuch did, and guess who asked him a question that got him red-faced? Kamala, uh -oh. Senator Kamala Harris. <laughs> and the question left an open-ended opportunity for an answer, and here's what he addressed it with. He said, the problem that we have in the federal court system is because you guys, and he's talking to all of the senators on the Senate Judiciary Committee, you guys, you purposely historically, have left the laws that you create vague. Instead of doing the job and putting into the verbiage in these bills that you craft, 
so that everybody will know for certain what your intentions were. Instead of putting that in there, you're too lazy to, and so you want to force the courts to look into your brains and come up with exactly what your intentions were when you crafted those laws. How much conflict and misunderstatement and misunderstanding could be eliminated if that was the case in the case of the 14th Amendment, Section 3. If they had, the crafters of the amendment, now this is after the Constitution had been around a while, when they crafted it, if they defined what they meant in that term, insurrection or rebellion against the same or against the government, we wouldn't even be having this court case in Colorado. We would all already know what insurrection was. But think of that. I asked somebody, a good friend of mine that is a constitutional attorney, and I asked him about that, and he laughed. <laughs> and here's what he said. They knew what they were doing. They were all attorneys. Look at the yeah. billions of dollars that attorneys, federal attorneys have earned by going to court representing somebody to get up there and argue <laughs> about different things that are put and not put into bills that are being considered, and some make it into law. But they're so vague, there's plenty of opportunity to have litigation. And litigation for attorneys means what? Money. Yeah. And, of course, because these laws are crafted by attorneys, they are specifically and purposefully as vague as they are so that they, as you said, as they, so they can be um, argued for not just days on end, not for weeks, months, and years on end in the courtroom and billable at D.C. rates of 1200 to $2,000 an hour by these high-priced government attorneys. And this is exactly why that – I mean, look – all of, all of our legislation, all of our laws would be infinitely more plain and clearly spelled out if we followed one of my own axioms, Dan, and that is that no lawyer should be allowed to write law. Correct. Now, that no lawyer should be allowed to write law, period. In fact, my and when when I you know when I become uh, you know king of the world and I, I, I implement my <laughs> benevolent rulership over over the planet, <laughs> one of the things that I'm going to do is pass a law, declare a law to be in place that you cannot be a member of the bar and run for federal office. You can be a governor. You can be a mayor. You can be a state legislature, depending on what your state wants to do. But you cannot sit in the Senate or in the House of Representatives if you're a member of the bar. And and or you have given up your bar license for a period of five years before you do. That would never happen, and it shouldn't happen because, dang it, it's too simple. <laughs> they want to make the process... Well, all of our- unsimple and we would yeah we would all understand our laws and there wouldn't be a million of them if it wasn't the for the fact that lawyers write the laws yeah 
Well, listen, I want to take a break here. And when we come back on the other side, I, folks, we didn't talk about content for the show, but I told him we wanted to talk about the stuff of the day. There is something that I want to get into before he has to get away. And that is what's going on regarding Israel, Hamas, and all of the, I guess I can say, ripples around the world that are tearing us apart on many levels. Steve Baker with us, always on Tuesday in our second hour. He'll be back to talk about those and answer some questions right after this. You do your thing, and you do it well. Now, it's time to do it bigger. It's time for Shopify. Shopify makes it easy to set up your online store, expand into new sales channels, and bring your brand into the real world. Get everything you need to launch your business today with Shopify. So you guys grew up together? Yeah, since third grade. What are you looking at? I'm not looking at it. We're not good enough for you. You look for something else? No, I don't know. What are you, big supermodels? Who's us? Supermodels? What are you model? Gloves? What are you doing? A girl's totally into me. Brad, eat a Snickers. Why? Because you get a little angry when you're hungry. Better? Better. So, ladies. So, losers. Stacy, relax. I'm sorry. You're not you when you're hungry. Snickers satisfies. Budweiser presents the world's first star in your own radio commercial. Okay, guys, whenever you hear this sound, insert your name. Hi there. Your name. Sorry I'm late. Sometimes there just aren't enough hours in the day to be a neurosurgeon and a swimwear model. Oh, am I thirsty. How about it? Your name. Got anything tall and cool? Oh, Budweiser long necks, though. Your name. You are so thoughtful. But of course, Bud's the first choice for every occasion. Ah, you know I have a confession to make. If I ever had a son, I'd want to name him. Your name. Oh. Your name. Come here. Now. Mm. Your name. Your name. Your name. Well, you did very well in your first commercial. Have a Bud. You've earned it. Your name. Anheuser-Busch, St. Louis, Missouri. Violence, screaming obscenities, heated arguments, angry crowds. Roller derby? Nah. Election season. And your voice of calm is truthnewsnet.org. Now, you know me better than that. I'm not a voice of calm. I get kind of animated, as does our partner on the air with us now, Steve Baker. Steve, thank you for coming every Tuesday. And, of course, the 900-pound gorilla in the world right now is Israel. And I know you have um, some opinions there and some things to say. But give us kind of a lay of the land from your perspective you don't. You don't get well, the I, same. Yeah. You don't get the same input that I get. You're in another part of the world. What and why are the ripples from what happened on the seventh of October when Hamas decided to slaughter fourteen hundred Jews and the aftermath? What the heck is this all about? <sighs> the, the easy answer. Remember, when we were talking about the simplicity of the Ten Commandments and the, the Bill of Rights as they were originally drafted. We were talking about that in the last segment. Yeah. The easy answer for you right now is spiritual darkness. That's it. 
It's it's unexplainable what's happening in, happening in the world in terms of this aftermath of the Hamas um, terrorist invasion there in um, in Israel three weeks ago. It, it is it is only definable by spiritual because you can't answer the question, Dan. You cannot answer the question, Dan, why there are hundreds of thousands of people marching through the streets of London, tens of thousands of people marching through the streets of New York, Minneapolis, Dallas, Los Angeles, um, not in not in support of Israel, in support of a terrorist action. That is only definable by a darkness that has descended over the land. And I, I will tell you, Dan, we, we have always said, and I, I mean, I've, I've said this long before I heard other uh, pundits, uh, right-wing pundits pick up on this, but I've always said that the left is a death cult. Democrat, you know, they, it's more often applied to the party. The, the, the ideals coming out of the Democratic Party are a death cult. Every single thing that they do ultimately must, by process, require a gun to somebody's head. And because it's the antithesis of liberty, socialism, communism, democratic socialism, all of that requires a gun to somebody's head. To buy into that value system, that political philosophy, that spirituality, whatever it is, that your ideas about how the world must exist can only be enforced at the point of a very, very large government gun. And now you take the additional step over and you see an actual terrorist organization who by charter states clearly that their end game, their, their entire purpose and reason for existence is the elimination of Israel and the Jewish people from this planet. That's their only reason for existence. So what and is, we see these, what is we the, see these marches everywhere in support of that. What is the seed? Where does the seed for this? You can call it anti-Semitism. You can call it hatred. Uh, you can call it racism because it's all of the above rolled in, whatever you name you put on it. Where's it come from? Well, we can go all the way back to the 8th century and read the words that Muhammad wrote the book that eventually became the Quran, and we can see that that's where the ideas were planted. Or we can go back even further, and we can go back to uh, uh, the the origins of Ishmael. <laughs> we, but, start, we started the show today with the story of Ishmael and uh, Isaac and how that created the whole beginning of it. And you start talking personalities between there and when... Um, the Quran was crafted. There's just too much room for individuals to put their fingers on every decision that's made in this. And when that happens, when the primary function, the heart 
of these people that are making these bad choices, evil choices, murderous choices. They're making decisions based upon something that you and I didn't live through when we grew up. Um, And I talked about racism in the South at the top of the show. I was in Franklin, Louisiana, small school, started as a freshman. I'd grown up in Lafayette, 50 miles away. We didn't have forced busing, integration issues down there. There's culture in the south part of the state where if you're Cajun, if you live in that part of the state, you're going to be different and you're just going to grow up with different people. I walked into at Franklin High School, the locker room, my freshman year to play football. I had African-American foot, fellow football players in there, had white football players in there, had some real Cajuns in there. We never thought anything about it. I didn't learn mm-hmm. what real racism was until I came to North Louisiana. And this was mm-hmm. in Shreveport where you grew up. Um, this was a place where it was diehard. I mean, if your skin color wasn't lily white, nobody thought you were worthy of breathing the same air. But it seems like that's being replicated today. But that doesn't get born into us. People make no, it doesn't. choices. It doesn't. We make choices. But he, did you, the, the mo, this was the most frightening video that I saw from this weekend's uh, activities protest. You, you saw the... Um, uh, what was happening in, oh gosh, what, it was one of the prov- provinces uh, of Russia, um, where the, the at that airport. local, yeah, at that airport, where they were running through the mall, running through airport, running out onto the tarmac because they heard that a plane was arriving full of Jews from Tel Aviv. Their intention was clear. They were going to kill them. And one of the journalists out there was interviewing these uh, two small boys. And I'm talking uh, preteens, both of them, young boys. And I don't know if you saw this or not, Dan. It I was didn't see that chilling. part of it, no. It was chilling. He asked the two small boys, why are you here? They answered as clear as they could and said, we're here to kill the Jews. Really? Uh, is that true of you? And he asked the other one, yes, I'm here to kill the Jews. He said, well, what are you going to kill them with? Oh, whatever, a, a knife. We'll kill them with the knives. You have a knife? Yes. These were small children. This is what is being taught in these mosques. This is what's being taught in their communities. Now, is it being taught in every mosque in the world? No, it's not. But depending upon, I think we talked about this last week, depending upon which uh, think tank or which group you, you subscribe to, you will see that anywhere from 10, 15 to as high as 25% of the world's 1.8 million, billion, sorry, 1.8 billion Muslims are what they call radicalized Islamists. And Dan, just take a middle figure between all of those estimates, average that out, and you have already available, the you have an army immediately available larger than all of the combined armies on the planet Earth. That's mind-boggling, and it is scary beyond words. You can't even fathom what potentially could happen. Now, let me carry that to the next level. We have open borders 
southern border is wide open. They tell us six to seven, maybe seven and a half million illegals have come across the southern border since Biden's been president. Forget about the fact for just a moment that all of that is illegal and that Joe Biden, uh, Alejandro Mayorkas, everybody else in his administration that are suborning that, not just allowing it to happen, but finding ways to help it happen, that is illegal. And all of those people involved in it are committing felonies by doing that. Forget about that for a second. Who's coming in? How many of those people have come in? We are told over last weekend, not this particular weekend, but the weekend before news came out about what really is going on in Mexico regarding these Islamists. Hezbollah has a massive created center where they're training people in how to do this. Now, why would they locate those people in that training center in Mexico, specifically Mexico? Um, I can think of one reason, one purpose. There may have been some word that they heard we were having a president that was going to open the southern border. We had 11 terrorists that killed 3,000 Americans on 9-11. And those terrorists, by the way, just to let everybody know, they were here legally in the United States. They had, each of them had visas. None of them, by the way, from, were from Iran. Almost all of them were Egyptian. That's a story for another day. But nevertheless, how many does it take to shut the border down and to verify as leaders in this nation who's coming in and why aren't we enforcing the rule of law? There has to be multiple purposes and reasons for that happening. And the answers are not very... Um, warm and fuzzy no they're not and i I, we may have even uh mentioned this because i think most of your and my time spent last week was on the israel situation and we were talking about obviously the 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 border and and the groups that are coming across and the nations that are are represented by these young military age men coming across the border without women without children without dependents of any kind and and we're, we're seeing uh, video after video after video, mostly from independent uh, media sources and independent journalists that are going down to the border. And I know, because I wrote an article on this 10 years ago, uh, talking about the fact that there were, our, our intelligence services were tracking training camps in Central and South America, training camps made up of Al-Qaeda, Hamas, Hezbollah, ISIS. And this was 10 years ago. Dan, these people are now coming across the border from those training camps. This is what's happening at the border. I, 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 can't, I can't 
get you know you, you know me I, i'm i'm really bad about teasing you and your audience with stories that i can't talk about <laughs> but the as everyone knows i've been uh, 80% or more of my work in the last couple of years has been directly related to january 6 but it's not been all there i have been down south i've done some uh, investigation into some child trafficking things uh, you may recall that from a year ago and as a result of that I am working with still investigators today who have just got back from the border specifically to track what I was just talking about. These are professional investigators, mostly retired uh, from our own intelligence services. That's all I can say about that right now. These are some of the good guys that got out of government years ago, and they have been using their unique skills down at the border to gather information specifically about who's coming across that border. And when we finish this uh, stream of, of a series of stories that uh, we have initiated on the blaze about the, um, uh, the two Capitol police officers that I've been investigating for over a year, agent Lazarus and um, uh, officer Harry Dunn, then more than likely I'm going to be shifted back into uh, my other mode and I'll be looking at these issues and reporting on these issues that are being found down there right now. And it's directly related to Dan, an absolute organized invasion of our Southern border. That feeds into the final topic of this segment. And I want to thank you in advance for coming here. You bring so much information to the table. We have a big audience every time you come and we have people listening in right now. This is really big to me from Israel. And we want to tell you, Stephen, I want to tell you, you're in our prayers. We're with you. We support you. And we believe you have every right to exist and live your life the way you feel is best for you. And we're going to support our leaders continuing to help your leaders and we're going to support you with prayer. Thanks for sharing today with us on TNN Live. Now let's move forward to the final thing, and it won't take us long to express, either one of us to express our opinions. What do you think about Joe Biden in 2024? Or do you? <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm going to stick to my guns on this. Remember the first <laughs> thing we said? The first thing we said today is we have to wake up every day and, and examine our own truth yet again. Yes. Well, this is this is one area in which I'm not going to uh, depart yet. I still do not <laughs> believe that he's going to run in 24. I mean, he is running technically right now, but I still believe that they, he will be gracefully exited from the stage by the Democratic operatives, by the people that control him, his puppeteers, his, his uh, grandmasters that are overseeing uh, uh, this administration because he's clearly not. He's not capable. Uh, and the, the reality is, is that I, I think that they know that he is at this point a losing proposition regardless of who he goes up against. Polling is continuing to plummet on his side. And that's coming – uh, that's coming from the favorable to the left. Pollsters are showing how miserably he's performing in every in every measurable area, whether it's the economy, uh, foreign policy, or regardless of what the issue is. 
And so they're going to have to move him out and they're going to have to move somebody in that they think can, in fact, stand up to a either another Trump campaign or a DeSantis or a Nikki Haley or whoever it ends up being. The one thing that we have to decide, though, Dan, on this side of the political ledger, the aisle, the philosophy, is that we have got to lay down our arms that are being pointed at each other right now. This is this is not good. I, look, I, 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 understand, I understand the passion for Donald Trump, even though I've never been a Trump supporter. I get it. I totally understand it. And I have every intention that if he survives this legal process and he gets the nomination and he is able to and allowed to to run for president yet again, I have every intention of supporting him against anybody the left puts up because we have to protect our country. And, and this dovetails right back into what we were talking about. This invasion that's happening at the southern border is not going to be stopped by Biden or any of his puppet masters or whoever is next in line because that is the agenda. That is their agenda to bring us down. This and, I, this and, and it has to be stopped. This morning. I, uh, I saw an interview, Dave Rubin, who lives in Florida. He is a very conservative, one of my, he's, he's a gay mm-hmm. guy, but he's one of my favorite yeah. uh, podcasters. I like his politics. I like the way yep. he presents himself. And I like much of what he says. He had Dinesh D'Souza on this morning. And again, he, Dave Rubin, is a diehard Floridian. Ron DeSantis is his guy for the presidency. And yep. so he asked Dinesh, and Dinesh D'Souza, he's been through far more than you or I combined have been through when it comes to negativism in the last five or six years. Barack Obama right. put him in prison. Um, yep. But he was quick to give Dave the answer when Dave said, with all of this stuff, 91 separate counts against Donald Trump, why is he winning so largely? And Dinesh was very quick. He said, I'll tell you why. Almost every conservative thinks that Donald Trump was cheated in the 2020 election. And because of all the actions that are being taken against him by people in the Biden administration, specifically to keep him from running again, More and more people are saying the guy deserves a second chance. They like what he did while he was there, and we want him to have that opportunity again. I never thought about that. And the more stuff they throw at Trump, the higher his numbers go. And it's Mm -hmm. got to be because voters are looking at things far more objectively than are people on the left. They're petrified that Trump could even think about coming back to office, let alone be able to re-engage some of his policies that made life so much better for all of us than it is right now. Yeah. Your final thoughts. Well, I, yeah, well, I, I will tell you, and this is where I was headed with those last comments, is, and Dave Rubin's a great example. If you if you look at all of the, the this new group of people that I've been 
uh, uh, thrust into working with on a regular basis. These Blaze TV hosts, of course, Dave Rubin is one of those. Um, uh, you have guys like him and Steve Dace that have thrown their hats in the, the DeSantis ring. There are other of the hosts who are solidly Trump supporters. And but the but the one thing that I like about this group of re- of people is they have a reasoned understanding that when the primary battle is over, regardless of what happens, we have to come together. And which means we need to stop fighting. We need to stop potshotting. We need to start obeying Ronald Reagan's 11th commandment right now, (laughs) if you're going to do that. And I say that as somebody who's not a Republican, somebody who is in fact much more libertarian than I am conservative. But I will tell you right now that if the, if they expect to save our, it's not, it's not about winning. It's not about the GOP controlling Congress and controlling the white house. It's about saving our country from what the left is doing to it right now and where they're taking us. And, and whether you're a DeSantis supporter or a Trump supporter, you have got to stop taking pot shots at each other and you've got to come together and understand that when this primary battle is over, we have one goal and one goal only. And that is to draw the line in the sand against the left and to beat them back. I can't, say it better than you and we're going to leave it right there boy we could keep going on we didn't even get into some of the things that we need to talk about we've got our eyes on it folks steve's watching it steve you've got any time permission to just give me a call and we'll throw it up on the air and you come share your thoughts the big important things because right now timing is critical and we need to keep our eyes on what's going on and be ready to share it with those around us that we know need to and want to get facts so that we can give them to them. Thank you so much for what you're doing, buddy. I appreciate it. And I am still in awe that my good friend is working for the Blaze Network and that uh, you stupefy Glenn Beck every time you go on a show, giving, <laughs> giving him thoughts that he didn't think of. He's one of the smartest people I know. But you you get him going, oh, my gosh, I can't believe that. <laughs> Listen, be Thank safe. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate it. Yes, I will. And uh, keep us posted on what you find out and anything that you can tell us. I like for you to tease us and give us little nuggets every now and then, but dadgummit, give us some facts, some truths, the whole story, okay? You got it. You got it. All right, be safe, and we'll talk soon. Thanks, Dan. All right. Steve Baker, what a hero of mine he is. Great guy. We've got a couple of things we haven't touched yet. That's next. It's a lot to take in, but when you need a refresher, it's all here. 24-7, 365. Every podcast, every blog. TNN, the Truth News Network. Truthnewsnet.org. You do your thing, and you do it well. Now, it's time to do it bigger. It's time for Shopify. Shopify makes it easy to set up your online store, expand into new sales channels, and bring your brand into the real world. Get everything you need to launch your business today with Shopify. Ladies, we ask your forgiveness. Please forgive 
our immaturity, our outbursts of tacky compliments. Forgive our browser history. Forgive our hormones taking control of us. Forgive us for thinking an open shirt is the ultimate weapon of appeal. Forgive us for opening our beers like primates. Forgive for taking a no as a yes. For insisting on playing a guitar that doesn't exist. And please, forgive us for never washing our hands. Ever! Schneider, the beer with the exact maturity of the man who's in the process. Folks, thanks for being here for this thing. Listen, I've got two things I need to talk to you about before we end the show today. I want to get through both of these, and I'm going to do it. I want to give you the facts that are part of it, but not quit too quickly. You know what I mean? Following that main shooting, the suspect up there, Robert Cards, his mid-July evaluation at a West Point hospital. Yes, he was in the Army Reserve. He went to West Point, to a hospital. Now, that was just in mid-July. When he was evaluated, the U.S. Army decided he should not take part in live fire activity or handling guns or any ammunition as well. Does that blow your mind? On October 28, police took card for an evaluation at a hospital while he was at West Point in mid-July 2023. Card, an Army reservist, had caught the attention of some military officials after he acted erratically mid-July while he was taking part in training at West Point. Police in New York were called, and Card was taken to West Point's Killer Army Community Hospital to be evaluated. This morning, today, the BBC pointed out that U.S. Army decided Card was, quote, non-deployable due to concerns over his well-being following that evaluation. Breitbart News reported the Maine National Guard asked cops to check on Card in mid-September out of their concerns that he could snap and commit a mass shooting. CNN reported personnel from the county and Kennebec County Sheriff's Office responded to the Maine National Guard request they tried to make contact with Card on September the 16th, last month. The attempts to make contact were unsuccessful. October 25th, you know the rest of the story. He opened fire in two Lewiston, Maine locations, one of which was a gun-free zone, by the way. 18 innocents were killed, 13 others were wounded. Now, what's the big deal in all of this? If you see something, say something. If you know by your observations, you watch somebody, you know somebody, and they're acting erratic, and they may have a history of or be around guns, those any of those kinds of things, talk to somebody in authority in the town, the city, 
the county, talk to somebody in law enforcement and say, look, here's somebody that has been acting erratic. Maybe you need to get these people to be checked out, or maybe you need to go talk to them, or just make sure they know and understand. Do you realize if that had happened in Maine, none of those 18 people that were killed by CART would have been killed. And by the way, the 13 others that didn't die but were wounded, they wouldn't have had to deal with that. Nobody stepped up and took responsibility for that. So quit telling me how evil guns are. Do you know that there are more people killed with knives year in, year out than there are people killed with guns? It's just guns make the most noise. And those incidents in which guns are part of the instrument that's used, they're just more dramatic and horrible, impossible to understand. And so that's our point. It's about people killing people. That's what it's all about. If you see something, say something. We've just got to do that. Found out. Early this morning, another one of these goodies. Joe Biden has opened the doors for more white-collar jobs in the United States to be given to people other than Americans. Biden told his deputies Monday of this week, y'all go import more foreign graduates for the Fortune 500 white-collar careers needed by indebted U.S. graduates and their families. Now think about this. It's a directive coming from the President of the United States. It's described in a White House fact sheet outlining the directive, quote, Executive Order on Safe, Secure, and Trustworthy Artificial Intelligence. And here's what it says, quote, Use existing legal authorities to expand the ability of highly skilled immigrants and non-immigrants, other words, visa workers, with expertise in critical areas to study, stay, and work in the United States by modernizing and streamlining visa criteria interviews and reviews. Biden's setting up another wave of indentured servitude workers. Now, why would he do this? You know who are the biggest contributors across the political spectrum every two years are? the big corporations in the United States. Now, what are these big corporations? Why do they do all of the work that they do? For money, stockholders, investors, people that play the stock market. It's all about money. The visa programs he's talking about include the infamous H-1B programs, That grants roughly 200,000 three-year work permits each year, and they're given to low-skill and mid-skill foreign graduates, not the ones that are brain surgeons, not the ones that we love to see and hear and think, oh my gosh, look what we've done. We've opened up this to the world, and look what we're getting back from it. No, these are low-skill and mid-skill foreign graduates. Why is that such a big deal? Money. Money. Follow the money. 
It's about getting somebody that these big corporations want the administration to bring in and let them work in these mid-level jobs because they work cheaper and you've got something to hold over their heads, their right to be here in the U.S. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks always to Steve Baker. You guys have a great day. Be careful Halloween night. We'll see you tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. Thinking back when we first met I remember what you said You said you never leave me Yeah I let go of your hand Build my castle in the sand But I'm reaching out again And I'm not letting go Till you hold me Mold me Sometimes I feel so all alone Mm -hmm. See, I gotta find my way back home So I don't hear Shape me Make me Wash me Whiter than the snow I gotta find My way Back home Master upon My knees I pray I just wanna be the clay Mm, Put your arms around me Place my life in your hands Lord, I know I'm just a man Know you understand This time I'm not Sometimes I feel so all alone See, I gotta find my way back home So why don't you chastise me, baptize me Wash me whiter than the snow I gotta find my way Direct me, bless 